Hello, boys and ghouls. And if you're listening to this on the day it drops, happy Friday the 13th. To commemorate this unluckiest of days, the topic of this episode is the frightening franchise of Blood and Campers, where there's a killer in the woods, and his name was Jason. Because we spoke at such length on the large number of Friday the 13th movies, we've sliced this episode in half. The second half will be made available on the next Friday the 13th, which, circle your calendars, falls in December. And now, enjoy the first half of our journey through that blood-splattered series of machete maniacs and perfunctory toplessness that all started on a Friday, the 13th. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill the undead. So have you ever talked to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Look! The third switch! Give my creation! Can you reach in the ice chest and get me a couple of waters? Yes, yes. Because... And one for me, too. Now, yeah. I know you always need more than one. Usually, at the end, I go through, like, three waters, and then I look at you, and you've drank, like, a half a water. Yeah, it's always really impressive to watch you start guzzling them, because you take them down real fast. I guess. <laughs> okay. Uh, but let's, uh, let's gab. Yeah. You and I. Yeah. Okay, if you're bursting with something, it would have already come out and hit me in the face. Probably, except, well, one thing that happened while I was walking up the stairs to your apartment is I ran through a bunch of cobwebs. Well, that's kind of scary. That's pretty spooky. Uh, in the world of horror, let's visit its close cousin, science fiction, ah. and just say that you've been spending uh, your weekends in green paint. A considerable amount of my life lately has been covered in green paint. <laughs> I went to see Kat in her play, uh, Captain Dan Dixon. Versus the moth sluts from the fifth dimension. Very good. Yeah. That's quite a mouthful. And there's, you got there, it perfectly. There's no and in there anywhere. No. But I keep wanting to put one in at various spots. <clears throat> right. Okay. So I went to see one of your performances at about like halfway through the run. <laughs> and it's still going for like what? It's very likely we will actually be extending it. Based on the rave reviews we've been getting and the fact that the last show we did sold out to the point where we only had standing room. Despite it being really hot lately. Yeah. Like, you've really got to want to see a show just to leave the house. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So because of all that, we may be extending another two weekends, All right, which now, is exciting. I can't emphasize enough just how much green paint yeah. Ket had all over. Yeah. And you told me that usually by, like, the end of the show, you're, you're like, cracking. Yeah. Like, the paint would crack. Yeah, because it's dried, and then all the moving around causes it to start cracking, and you see exposed skin. Yeah. Yeah. But that night... It was just so hot. You were more likely to sweat it off. We were glistening that night. Yeah, it wasn't that bad sitting still, but you were up there. Uh, you had dance numbers. Uh-huh. And by the end of the performance, there's the girls, and they've got green paint. And there's the guys, and they're in sort of like 50s sort of retro future space outfits. Yeah. Which kind of look kind of like Navy outfits, but for the future. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And they had like green paint just like here <laughs> and there, some on their faces, some just on their outfits. Mm-hmm. And then the scenery 
which you told me may have been from the first Austin Powers movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it said it on the back. That's right. With, with like dials and diodes and mm-hmm. things like that. That had green paint on it. All of like, these people things just touch which it. were unique to your experience of the show. Because I'm telling you, it does not happen like that every night. It was oh, okay. The air, the air conditioner breaks and green paint gets everywhere. That's what happened. Not that it doesn't get on anyone or anything. It's just when you saw it, it was an extreme situation. I figured that must be just what it was like to be on the set <laughs> of one of those old sci-fi with the, the green ladies running around. Yes. And there are some green ladies in those Star Trek episodes that you can find pictures of, and we look just like them. I came to see you with our, our mutual friend, Nick Sweet. Hi, Nick. Who, he and his brother were putting on a web series about zombies, like, like a zombie comedy set in the workplace. So it's called uh, The Working Dead. Cute. And I... Uh, volunteered to be a zombie for them <gasps> i didn't know really you didn't tell me you're very okay. good at keeping that's oh that's what the bloody clothes out in the hallways for oh yeah i just assumed those were bloody clothes you just have around as previously mentioned on another episode of boys and ghouls yeah that's a dress shirt oh and then and, and then another one's uh like an undershirt got it but but that was uh made just for for this and now i have now i guess a, a dressy and a more casual set of zombie clothes what were you doing as a zombie uh, advancing on a house. Oh. Where, where people from a workplace were God. like holed up. How was it? Was it fun? Was it hot? Where, when did you do it? It was pretty warm. It was it was out of ways. It was in Moore Park. Oh, yeah. I know where that which is. Which is a bit of a drive. Yeah. A quiet street. A cul-de-sac. So we were, we were guaranteed uh, not to really be disturbed, but the cops still showed up. Ah. Oh. Because we were filming out in the street, and they were just like, oh, take it onto the sidewalk. Right. And it'll all be okay. Just take it on the sidewalk. Cops in any surrounding LA area are not going to be incredibly shocked by zombies. Yeah. Filming. I, I, gave, I gave the cop a, a smile and a wave. Just because I know if I saw a, a tiny horde of zombies, I might have a bad reaction. Mm-hmm. Sure. But I got makeup done. It was really well done. I think just by when I happened to show up that day, they had like a nice block of time to just dedicate to my face. Ugh. It looked really good. Most of the really good stuff was on the left side of my face, but then the camera was on my right, most Ah. of the the shots I participated in. So I developed this exaggerated limp that would just turn my whole body, like with every step. It would just be like a lunge with every step. And that was just to get the left side of my face just like lunge. That's thinking like an actor. Try to put the real good makeup job. just The real gross stuff. Over on on the camera side. Who knows if it read. I can't wait to see. That's yeah. really fun. Thank you. And um, yeah, Nick's ex- excited also. He likes the way it's turned out. Awesome. Hello? Who's that? Oh, hi. Friday, the 13th. You may only see it once, but that will be enough. Marshall. Yes, Cat. Did you know a young boy drowned? In the lake over there? Yeah. His name was Jason, and today is his birthday. Uh, so today we're here to talk about Friday the 13th, 
slash the Friday 13th franchise. We had been planning this for a while just because we said, oh, why don't we do a, a Friday the 13th episode? And because this show comes out on the 13th of every month, we said, oh, well, we'll just wait for Friday the 13th. And yeah. it was like seven months or something uh-huh. until the next one. Now it's finally here. Yeah. So we had a long time to just say, like, wait for it. It's, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Now, there are how many Jason movies? Um, if you consider the reboot to be part of the franchise. And I do. And you include, of course, Freddy versus Jason, there are 12. 12 of them. Which makes me feel like, well, they should just do one more, so there are 13. Uh, and I think they probably are. I think they're going to do kind of a second reboot. Yeah. Um, but then part of me, after binging on these films, hopes that no one ever, 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 ever tries to contribute anything else to this franchise. I don't think we're really going about this fairly because both of us just binged on these movies. We did. And it's kind of like two people who are allowed to eat as much chocolate cake as they wanted. And then you're like, what do you think about chocolate cake? Never again. Right? Yeah. I understand that. You know, we didn't have years of waiting between these films. (laughs) Yeah. And a conclusion I came to is that I don't want to watch any of these alone anymore. Not because it's scary. But to just be by myself watching one of these movies, I was constantly thinking, man, this would be so much better with somebody else. Going through this process and rewatching Friday the 13th, it's given me a really fresh, healthy appreciation for the first movie. And in mm-hmm. fact, the first two movies, the first and second, I love. I think they're both great. But um, even though I'd seen many of the sequels, I wasn't that attached to Jason as a character. But now I am. Now I feel the need to defend the character to the rest of the franchise that just ripped it all to pieces. Um, pun intended. <laughs> uh, Jason murders people. It gets bad on Friday the 13th. But it gets worse on Saturday the 14th. So, Marshall, mm. what would one call a fear of Friday the 13th? I believe that's a Friday the 13th phobia. Hmm. <laughs> It's a little more tongue twisty than that. Okay. It's Frigga Triskaidekaphobia. One more time. Frigga. <laughs> Frigga Triskaidekaphobia. That's fear of Friday the Thirteenth, and really the fear of it kind of emerged because, for a lot of reasons, I mean, the number thirteen is considered to be a kind of um, a soiling of the number twelve. Like it, it ruins the completeness of the number twelve. There are twelve months in the year, twelve apostles, twelve signs in. Meaning signs like zodiac. Zodiac signs. You know, so the number 12 kind of has connoted a completeness in history, and the number 13 kind of ruins that, I guess, transgresses it, is the idea. Jesus was crucified on a Friday, so there you go. And this, I'm not sure how much we can trust this, but it's on Wikipedia, so it's got to be true, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) According to the Stress Management Center and Phobia Institute in Asheville, North Carolina... 17 to 21 million people in the United States are affected by a fear of Friday the 13th. It says that makes it the most feared day and date in history. Now, this is the statistic that kills me. 800 to 900 million dollars in business is lost. Because because people just don't want to leave the house? People will call in sick to work. I mean, I know there's buildings without 13th floors. Yeah, but there are apparently enough people who check out for the day to actually affect the economy because they're terrified to be out and about moving around in the world. Now, when I was growing up, Friday the 13th was considered an unlucky day because by then, that's when Jason will get you. Right. Me too, of course. I think. Like, we had this vague notion of bad luck, and if there was a bad luck spectrum, then, like, skinning your knee was down at one, 
And Jason getting you was up at 100. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the creators of this film just wanted to capitalize on it. That was just the idea. And in the first film, it's just really incidental that... It just I mean, so happens to be Friday yeah, the 13th. I don't, think they're, I don't think they're insinuating that cosmology and numerology and bad luck caused murder. I think it's just incidental to name it that, draw people in, and then it's about a murderous mother taking revenge. I don't want to scare anyone, but I'm going to give it to you straight about Jason. His body was never recovered from the lake after he drowned. And if you listen to the old timers in town, they'll tell you he's still out there. Some sort of demented creature surviving in the wilderness, full grown by now, stalking. Why don't uh, you pretend that there's somebody out there who has heard of the Friday the 13th movies, but never check them out and give them kind of an overview of what the whole thing is about? So, okay, Friday the 13th is a film that came out in the year 1980, and it's about... Ultimately, yeah. a woman who murders a bunch of camp counselors because her son, who was, I think, nine at the time, drowned in a lake because he was at camp and the camp counselors weren't paying attention to him. He couldn't swim very well. They were having sex. Yeah. While he was out there in the lake by himself, he drowned. His name was Jason. These so, tidbits we don't find out till the end of no, the first movie. till the movie. end of the first movie. After several people are killed, but we don't know why. Exactly. So all these people are murdered. You find out mom, who was the cook at the camp, mm -hmm. is taking revenge on all these people because the counselors were making love. They weren't paying any attention, as she tells us at the end of the film. At the end of the film, one lone girl defeats Pamela Voorhees, chops her head off, and we think it's all over. So that's the crux of the first film. Now, the filmmakers wanted one final scare mm -hmm. because the movie Carrie, which was out around that time, had that one final scare in it where the, good one. the hand comes out. Of the grave, yeah. And then it turns out it was a dream, but that doesn't matter because we're already scared. Yeah. So they did basically that. What's left to scare them? Oh, how about a undead-ish version of the drowned boy? comes out of the water to grab the girl. She's floating in a canoe, like, it's all over, and there's lovely music playing, like in the end of Carrie. And, and the cops show up. Mm-hmm. They've pulled their car up to the lake, and they're looking out at her. It's like, hey, it's all going to be okay. Blah! <laughs> Not going to be okay. And that scare was enough that for part two and all the sequels thereafter, they concentrated on Jason, the young boy, to be the killer. And so in Friday the 13th Part 2, Jason is the killer. The uh, movie supposes up. that mm -hmm. he didn't drown. Right. And although they don't get into it, I'd say they figure he popped up on the other side of the lake, couldn't find anybody, and just started living in the woods. Began living off the land, yeah. Wandering around the woods one day, he sees his mom doing some vengeance killing on his behalf, and then sees her get her head cut off. Yep. So he proceeds in Part 2 to execute his own revenge killing. Starting on. with the survivor from the first one, mm -hmm. and then starts taking out any population of teens around Crystal Lake. Yeah. And then subsequent to that, the rest of the sequels, in some way or another, they're all Jason doing the killing, or in one case, someone impersonating Jason doing the killing. Sure. And they all devolve into the idea that Jason is some kind of undead special evil force that can't be killed His eventually they reach that point. like it's the series takes 
the idea of Jason Voorhees from being this messed up woodsman. This, yeah. Feral, into, like a feral boy all like grown up. Like a feral child who grows up and based on the things he's seen and experienced and the fact that maybe he's mentally a little, he was a little off to begin with and turns him into this otherworldly thing with regenerative flesh and that people want to study and then at one point he's kind of like a spiritual entity that can only be killed with this special sword and it's just it's it's a mess the series is so disjointed there's no continuity let me stop you there (sighs) to your earlier question to me of do i consider the reboot part of the franchise sure i do because i consider everything after part four to be just a series of reboots all right fair enough and that is evidenced by his backstory keeps changing. It sure does. They keep some of the, the principal elements, like with any reboot. The Batman reboots, the Spider-Man reboot. The elements are there, but with a little little something-something added or moved around. Sometimes Camp Crystal Lake is there. Sometimes it's closed-down cabins. In one, the cabins were, they said like, oh, they bulldozed the cabins down. A couple years ago, but this is the place. This yeah. Is, yeah. So that that production didn't have to go find some cabins. Right. They, they could just use a patch of woods. Yeah. Every movie has a different Camp Crystal Lake sign. <laughs> it's a different font. It's in a different spot. I, I just started noticing them after a while, and then I started writing them down. In one, well, th- there, there's the sort of one you can buy like a t-shirt of. It yes. has that like a painting in the middle of like a happy camp. Mm-hmm. And then, and it tells you when Camp Crystal Lake was established. Nineteen thirty-five. Good for you. I, yeah, I just watched like, like eleven of these. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's one, and it's kind of hanging. And then you'll see another sign in like another movie, and it's hanging, but it's like a different font. Yeah, it doesn't have a picture. And then in one of them, I think it's just part two. They're just walking along, and they just pick it up off the ground, mm-hmm. and it says Camp Crystal Lake. And then in another one, it's at the bottom of the lake. Like, it's found its way to the bottom of the lake. It says, Camp Crystal Lake. And in Freddy versus Jason, it's on the roof. Like, someone had just taken it and chucked it up on the roof. And it doesn't look like any of the Camp Crystal Lake signs that had come before. But in the movies, to just fit whatever they really want to do with Jason in that movie, and, and they'll try to explain his past, it'll always be a little different just to fit whatever they want to do with him right. in, in that movie. So, in that sense... They're all reboots. I had to learn new film vocabulary because I spent some time going to the internet going, what the hell is going on with the fact that none of this matches the original backstory? And I was like, every site, it was like, oh, yes, it's retroactive continuity or retcon. I'd never heard that term before. But it's anything where they go back and reform part of the original continuity in order to serve a current plot. Well, I know how much you like Halloween, too. And they're like... Oh, by the way, she is Michael Myers' half-sister. Right. Roll with that. And H2O, I believe, kind of ignores several of the other... Sequels in the middle get ignored or just not talked about. Exactly. You know, obviously this isn't the only franchise that's ever exercised that retcon. However... I'm I'm sure it really stands out if you were to say, watch seven of them in a two-day period. Oh, it sounds like you're speaking from personal experience, Marshall. I'm speaking from, like, yesterday. Yeah. I know. When, it's, it's been the last week. My entire life has been Jason Voorhees. When you pop one out of the player and then put in the next one, every deviation just like sticks out. And it's like, really? Yeah. You just... Also, I think these were made under the belief that because they target such a young audience, uh, every Friday the 13th movie is a lot of people's first Friday the 13th movie. So really, why muck around with tiny details? Right. Because this new audience isn't going to really notice all that anyway. 
But if you were to watch every single Friday the 13th movie, <laughs> going in order, uh, you would start, Kat, as uh, you and I did with part one. Do you have any uh, specific thoughts uh, of that? Well, uh, just a couple facts, just to sort of ground us. Like what kicked off the whole franchise? Yeah, I mean, you know, the idea of Friday the 13th was to capitalize on a holiday, because Halloween had done it two years prior. I listened to um, the commentary for the first one on a nice box set that was given to me by uh, my friend Sumo Dan. Oh, awesome. Sumo Dan is a sumo wrestler that you can find on Facebook as Sumo Dan, <laughs> who was nice enough on my birthday. He knew that I'd be doing this in a few months. He gave me the first four Friday the 13th movies. Awesome. And it came with uh, 3D glasses for part three and a lot of uh, special features, including some commentaries, wherein... The writer said he was given just the assignment of, we want to rip off Halloween. Right. And so he set about doing that. You're going to care blood, ain't you? God damn it, Ralph. Get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. You'll never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. Now, for the, the sequels, now that I'm an expert in the mm -hmm. Friday the 13th movies, having watched a few DVDs worth of special features, the director had the idea that the sequels should each be of a different horror subgenre. Had you heard about this? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, do you have written down the, the name of the director? Sean Cunningham. Sean Cunningham. Who also produced, executive produced, I think, pretty much every other film he produced. A lot he of knew sequels. that you can't bring back the mother. Mm -hmm. She was beheaded. Right. Except at the end of part two when they do, or part three, whenever it is. Except she's just a zombie and she comes out of the lake. Yeah, although and, her head's back on and then that was a dream, right? But the idea of uh, it being Jason seemed a little silly because it negates the first movie. Really, right. if her son didn't drown, then what's all the killings about? Right. But Paramount Studios said, like, no, big scare from Jason. We're going to throw in a grown-up Jason. We'll make a million dollars. But I'd like to look at his idea for a second. The idea of that he would have come back and made a different type of horror movie and it would have gone under the name Friday the 13th, mm -hmm. which although we, we associate it very much with Jason now, at the time was still just a generic kind of spooky title. Yeah. And I think about right now, they're about to come out with the third American Horror Story, which, you know, it started as a haunted house and then the second one had... An asylum. An asylum, but they brought back the core group of actors, but all with different parts and different relationships mm -hmm. to each other. And now in the third one, you know, they're adding actors and they're bringing back actors and they're mixing them and all up. Witches. And now it's witches. Mm -hmm. And they'll just keep this going as long as they can, I suppose. And wouldn't it have been great to take that model and apply it to what the director was hoping for? It would have been interesting. Yeah. Can you imagine that maybe Friday the 13th Part 2 would have been like a more gothic kind of horror and now uh, betsy palmer who played mrs Voorhees, she's back but she's playing like someone else and then the campers they're playing different people and kevin bacon could have come back and that like, would have been fascinating he could I mean, play somebody more betsy palmer because lord knows please somebody throw an award at her for this movie apparently yeah. she said that the script was uh, a piece of shit but she decided to do it anyway because she needed a new car and I'm glad <laughs> she did. But yes. And she, she took it seriously. She, she didn't did. just phone oh, it in. Of course. But yeah, if she'd been on for like multiple sequels, but yeah. just playing She could have been on. like. The, She's the, amazing. She could have been like what Jessica Lange is doing now for yeah. American Horror Story. Can you imagine her coming back as a power hungry mother superior running a, oh, an asylum? A girl can dream. And, that would be and amazing. And Kevin Bacon is being committed, but claiming he didn't kill his wife. Right. And the girl who played Annie as a reporter trying to sneak in. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Also, all that's from uh, the second American Horror Story, uh-huh. which I, uh, I enjoyed very much. Good. Oh, you binged that one, didn't you? Oh, I did. Yeah, I sure did. Hello? Hello? Stop it! So, the now iconic score to the Friday 13th films. Let's um, both do it. What, what are we do? Oh, yeah. well, that's what I'm getting to. Oh, okay. Because, all right, you do it, and then I'll, and then we, I'll we get We both it. watch the same special features, probably. God damn it. All so, right. So, go on. This score by Harry Manfredini, uh, and we all, we all know it's... Well, ask anybody, and they go, kill, 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 kill. Actually, I think most people go, like a CH noise. That's oh, what I've heard people do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something to the effect of that. But that's not what it is. What is it, Marshall? Well, it's a kill, is it kill, 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 ma, 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 ma. That's right. Because he's taking the first two syllables of kill, kill, and kill, ma. ma. Like not like kill, the, mom, but no. in the, like in the first movie when she says, "Kill her, mommy, kill her." When yeah. Betsy Palmer is it's, uh, Pamela, Voorhees it's supposed is to be her. an extension of the voice in her head, yeah, urging her to kill. Which, how did I not know that until I started researching for this podcast? I don't know, but I love it. I love that it's. It's amazing. Then they took that music and applied it to Jason. Uh huh. It's beautiful, and I love that and that score. And it's it's really not ever more beautiful than it is in that first film. They use it to sometimes great, sometimes not so great effect in some of the other movies, and then some of the sequels just lose it entirely, and it's awful. But I love the score. I love it in the first film. It's it's so grating and fun. I think the first film score is really taking a lot of cues from Psycho, and why not? Sure. And it's that I'll just call it the. Yeah. That portion is the part that separates it from just being a, a psycho ripoff. Right. A lot of strings, which it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot of so, the sort of stabby strings. It's a good point. Here's the drive-in totals for movie number one. We have ten dead bodies, knife to the stomach, throat slitting, cleaver through the back, axe to the face, arrow through the forehead, fire poker to the face, Frying pan to the head, head hacking, and some nice violin music by Harry Manfredini. Body count of 11 in this movie, if you count the snake, which I do because I sat through that and every time I forget not to look and it's really horrifying because they really chop up a snake on camera. So I think that counts. Now the most impressive kill, just from makeup, which comes from uh, Mr. Tom Savini. Mm, I love Tom Savini. Is when Kevin Bacon is in bed. And is then stabbed up from behind yep. with, with an arrow, which was this great one reaction. Like, oh my gosh. Like, traditionally, attacks come from the other direction. Or right. like, you never, no one had ever seen that before. Yeah. And they would try to top it or mimic it in almost every Friday the 13th after that. Yeah. To the point that it became kind of like a signature move. Mm-hmm. And in part two... They had to cut it out. Like, they filmed it, but the MPAA had let them slide on enough stuff that they were really catching some flack for the first one. Yeah. So, when it came time for the second one, they really made them cut out a lot of stuff. Where they tried to do kind of it again with, like, a spear Mm -hmm. to pierce not one person, but two Two people people. because it's a sequel. (laughs) Do it twice as much. But it then had to be cut down to where it was just implied. I have 
have to say, in watching all these films, it's interesting to me how inconsistent the kills are in the sense that mm. some of them are incredibly hard to watch and really gory and like you see every moment. And some of them are almost completely implied. One of the things I think about when I think of the franchise is kills. It's one of the things people go to the theater to see. They want to see him kill people in new and different ways. So it's funny watching all these movies that... Yes, some of the sequels have things getting progressively gory, but there are still implied kills, which is interesting to me. Like, yeah, well, you would think... That maybe the, some of them were cut for, you know, ratings purposes. Or, I don't even know. You would think the, the way things tend to trend is if it's gory in part one, it'll just get gorier in part two. And that, that by part 11, it would just be nothing but blood. Right. But at some point, somebody must have said, there is such a thing as too much. Right. Because... You can't flay everybody. Yeah. <laughs> sure. It's overkill. Exactly. Friday, the 13th, part two. The body count continues. The second one is set at a camp that's not quite a camp. This is a training facility for camp counselors. Yep. Which I don't even know if that's a real thing. I'm sure. Don't counselors just learn at the camp that they're working in? Instead of going to some kind of centralized location. You're probably right. Yeah, but they um, just want to get everyone into sort of a, a camp environment. And just going through the settings of most of them, it's either at a camp or a cabin in the woods or they're camping around the lake. Everything usually centers around the lake. Most of the time. Most of the Not time. Not all of the sequels, though. Going into part five, I knew that a character was going into like a mental institution. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, okay, this will switch things up. And he arrives, and it's basically a camp. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second film directed by Steve Miner, IMDb tells me there was a body count of nine. By the way, I didn't count the kills. Probably would have made things more interesting for some of these sequels, but I didn't. Okay. Um, and then one unconfirmed, they say, for the second. Oh, they had a different Jason this time. Obviously, the first film, an there adult was a Jason. little boy, Jason. So this one's the first time we see an adult Jason. With so a bag over his head. Baghead Jason. Now, I love Baghead Jason. Even if a person has never seen any Friday the 13th movies, they know Jason equals a hockey mask. But Jason didn't even get the hockey mask until part three. That's right. But once he got it, it just became synonymous with Jason. So much so... That the opening credits of part four were just like a hockey mask and the words Friday the 13th. Mm -hmm. And that just stood in for anything more than like they didn't show a machete or they didn't have blood or a cabin in the woods. It was just a hockey mask, which at that point he'd only worn for about half a movie. But it was such a spooky, rather potent Mm -hmm. piece of wardrobe that it just became synonymous and has stayed with him throughout the series i like to think that part of what made that really stick culturally is that little boys all of a sudden had an automatic halloween costume anybody who had a hockey mask had a halloween costume just ready to go yeah my brother had a glow-in-the-dark jason mask he scared me with it a lot sure well even before you could buy them at halloween stores just anyone who played some hockey right well the goalie anyways Which he didn't. His was definitely a glow-in-the-dark mask based on the idea that Jason wears a hockey mask. But That must have been pretty scary when the lights go out and that's uh, the only thing. Yeah. But we're getting ahead of ourselves, though, just sure. real briefly. Um, you know, part two, Alice from the first film gets killed. Oh, look at me. I'm all dead. I'm a gross, scary, severed head. And I read that Adrian King, who played Alice, had like a stalker issue. Oh. Yeah, after the first movie. 
And then she didn't act very much after the second one. She actually said she didn't want to be in the second one too, too much because she wanted to limit her screen time because she was having issues with a stalker, which I think is kind of scary. Yeah, and that basically the only thing she had was being stalked. Yeah. In that movie. Yep. It's like, oh, got stalker issues? Well, we're going to show you getting stalked. And in that one, Jason actually calls her home. Right? Remember that? Yeah, I like and thinking then, about Jason using a phone. Like, what? As the movies have gone on, Jason becomes... I wouldn't say less tech savvy, actually kind of the opposite, but less concerned with the small details. Absolutely. Like at the end of that kill, the tea kettle goes off and he takes it off the fire. So it's not making noise. Mm -hmm. Whereas future Jason's would just be like barely registering that there's a tea kettle going on. If at all. After a while, he'd be like, huh? Tea kettle. Whatever. Yeah. But as far as his being tech savvy, you'll notice throughout the films, he knows just how to cut off the power. That's part of his MO. He's at some great point, at it. Yeah, all the lights go off. He sniffs out the phone line and the power line. Just yeah. chop. Sometimes yeah. he removes it with his hand. Sometimes he chops it. Sometimes we just, we don't get to see what he did. Uh, sometimes it's to a fuse box. Sometimes it's to the outside line. Yep. Sometimes it's just the phone. He'll do the phone before the power as kind of like a preamble. Mm-hmm. For a guy who lived most of his life in a shack that he built himself, he knows a lot about power. Then you could have wired up that cabin with a little something. Jason, mother is talking to you. Jason, mother is talking to you. I really love Amy Steele. She's the one who plays Ginny, the lead girl in this movie. She has this great speech at this bar. I remember that speech. Where she's talking about Jason and how sad it all is. That's how I knew she'd be the one that lived. Right. Because everyone else, well, not the one that lived, because in this movie, actually lots of people live, and the way they live is they stay at the bar. A bunch of them go into town, Mm -hmm. except for the couples who are like, I think I'm going to stay behind. And make love. And make Mm -hmm. love. But all the ones who go to the bar wind up just staying at the bar, and then there's a quick line of, is there an after-hours bar? And presumably they went back to camp at dawn to find cops there. Sure. And said, man, if I didn't stay at that bar and drink and smoke and dance and whatever, I might not be alive today. It kind of goes against the whole idea of like if you're a rabble rouser and you're drinking that you'll die in a horror movie. Like, Well, not those guys. Nope. But Jenny, while at the bar before deciding to go back and just kind of check up on things, tries to reason out the story of Jason, which at that point is just like a story. And we should say it's five years in the future. The movie came out one year after the first film, but the second film takes place five years after the first one. So, according to them, it should be like 1985. Yeah. I had no trouble buying that, and here's why. Because the one character, she has that half shirt. Oh, yeah. That by 1985, everyone would have. They did. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Ginny has this kind of vast understanding of the story of Pamela Voorhees and Jason Voorhees, and this really deep empathy for the whole thing and she thinks it's all really sad and she's postulating on this and going isn't it all very sad and everybody seems to be listening to her intently and then they're like bah that's stupid drinks and she's yeah. like no i'm gonna go back and check on things and you're like this is a, a smart girl who and she uses live. that smarts she does because at the end when she's on the run she finds his uh ramshackle cabin and she finds the severed head. Kind the, of a shrine. Yeah, a, a shrine to the severed head along with... Of his mom. Severed one head of, of his mom. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah, there are a lot of... <laughs> I was about to think like, well, who else is severed head? But right. one of several. Sure. 
But it's all mummified and kind of gross. It's kind of gross, but it's got her sweater there, mm-hmm. and it's kind of gross. She puts on the sweater, kind of tucks her hair back, takes some fashion cues from the severed head. She's like, oh, look, the severed head has short hair. I'm going to tuck this hair in. She's so smart. And starts talking to Jason as if she was Jason's mother. She says, Jason, mother is talking to you. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of great. And it works. He looks at her. He's kind of confused. Baghead Jason, as I like to call him, he feels so childlike in this movie to me, which is one of the reasons why I do love the second one as well, because she appeals to his sentiment. It kind of works. He's confused by it. He does miss his mommy, obviously. Mm -hmm. There's also a a moment in the film that made me just go like, wow, I don't think you ever see this Jason again in the entire series, which is there's a moment where Ginny's like under the bed or something, and he's standing on a chair. And she comes out, and he, I don't know what his plan clumsy. is, but the chair kind of breaks and he falls down. Yeah. That he's... doesn't happen to those kinds of things. It's a very no. clumsy moment for him, and it's like he's setting up for something. There's a lot of waiting around and setting up and things that, if you really think about it throughout the series, Jason would have to do in order to execute some of the kills. Yeah. You know, like hiding certain bodies, making sure they pop out at certain times. It all conveniently happens. But... In that moment, like in a lot of moments in this film, he's very vulnerable, I think. Well, he's he's I love uh, it. he's human. He's very human. And yeah. then by I like part 4, he's just sort of human in quotes. He seems to be weirdly unstoppable. And then by part 5, he's dead. But part 6, 6 he's zombie Jason. He's a total zombie. Had the Terminator come out by then? I think it had, cuz someone makes an I'll be back in one of these movies. Oh, really? Instead but... of just saying the usual horror movie I'll be right back. One guy does the the Schwarzenegger, I'll be back. And at that point, Jason is the Terminator, like a zombie Terminator. Yeah, Yeah, good luck killing this guy. There's no more stumbling. He's gotten bigger in size. They just keep getting bigger actors to play him, like they did with Michael Myers. Yes. Getting bigger actors. Which I understand intellectually, but I don't love. Anyway, but yeah, I I really, really, really like part two. That's a movie I think now that I've rewatched it, with an open eye and an open mind and just sort of trying to think about it, I realized how much I like And I'll watch it again. I'm sure that I will. Now, I can't say the same for part three, which I refer to as Carnival Friday the 13th, because part- all of these characters do tricks, like they walk on their hands and they juggle. So I- I'm trying to when I'm trying to separate them in my head, because I did watch so many of them so quickly, I refer to this one in my head as Carnival Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, part three in 3D. A new dimension in terror. It will scare you. Friday the 13th Part 3 was also Friday the 13th 3D. Came out in 1982, so we're talking Friday the 13th Part 1, 1980. Part 2, 1981. Part 3, 1982. Part 3D, excuse me. Yeah. Jaws 3 came out a year later, and that was in 3D. So it's kind of like what you do to spruce up your sequel. Yep. Wonder what's playing tonight. 3D. Oh, my George. My George, I'm in luck. Steve Miner directed this one as well. And if I'm not mistaken, he is the only director who directed more than one Friday the 13th film. And he only directed two of them. For all the rest of them, it's all different directors. I tried watching it with the 3D glasses. And maybe if I had a sharper television, <laughs> yeah. I would have had a sharper image. And I watched the first few gags, and I could kind of see it okay. For those of you who might buy the box set, it's a little fun. Watch it with a friend. The 3D gags are most of what I wrote down. Because (laughs) even after I decided to switch over to the non-3D version, uh, you can still totally tell what was designed for 3D. And they are not subtle. 
And they're having a lot of fun with it, too, because in, let's just say, Vincent Price's House of Wax, no one passed a joint in mm-hmm. in 3D. <laughs> uh, Although, much like, going back, have you seen House of Wax? Yes. It's been a while, but with, yeah. With uh, the guy with, with all the paddle balls, mm-hmm. just like, pop, 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 like, come to the House of Wax. Yeah. Well, there's someone with a bag of popcorn. Close your mouth. It's the bag I'm aiming at. Not your tonsils. Here she comes. And they're just coming right at the screen. Yep. And you're like, I know this has nothing to do with nothing, but this is fun. Um, there's so much in this, like, juggling. Popcorn, juggling. Juggling fruit. Just uh-huh. coming, like, right, right at, at the, the camera. camera. Yeah, camera's mounted, like, above the characters. And there's there was popcorn. Camera mounted right above the the pot. Popcorn popping. That eyeball that the crazy man yeah. holds well, at the camera. Ew. They've killed off Crazy Ralph now. Yeah, he died in the second one. Crazy he, Ralph was the harbinger, like, at the beginning like, You're of all doomed. the first one. You're all doomed. And doomed. then in the second one, he's there again, gets killed. So they got to have a crazy guy in this one. Who holds a an eyeball. eyeball? I guess Jason had walked by and like dropped it. Dropped it, <laughs> and he found it. That's disgusting. That's going like right at the screen. That was probably a real hoot to actually watch, like back in the day. I'm sure someone's got some fun with a yo-yo. Oh yeah. And this is the first one to have a hockey mask. Yes. Which was used not because someone was playing hockey, and it was just sitting around, but it was actually being used by the prankster to scare people. To scare people. Who uh, that character's name was Shelly. Oh, Shelly was frizzy haired and fat and was kind of being used as a guy to sort of lure a fun girl along. Like, hey, we found you a guy. It's Shelly. And Shelly's like, hey. He was very vocal about understanding exactly what his place was, too. He well, was like, I'm not the attractive guy. Nobody, no girls like me. Felt bad for him. I wouldn't say he really understood his place. But he certainly had a solid opinion of where he thought his place was. Right. Because even as the girl kind of warmed to him, he just couldn't not be that guy. Yeah. And at the first sign of her not being that into him, he was just like, forget it. I'm going to put on this hockey mask and carry a harpoon gun and scare this girl. Yeah. Which I think it's a credit to the better of the movies where you're actually kind of invested in what happens to the characters, that when Jason does show up, you're like, ah, Jason, I want to see where this goes. You know, are they going to get together? Are they not? All right. Yeah. But if the characters aren't interesting, which there's plenty of uninteresting ones in the series, you can't wait for Jason to show up. Yeah. And I think that's really the barometer. There is one thing about Friday the 13th Part 3D that I absolutely love, and that's the theme, the the opening theme, the music. It is ridiculous and super 80s. And if you're listening to this and you don't know what I'm talking about, just go to YouTube and find it. It is spectacular Halloween-y music. It's great. Uh, if I manage to find it, I will have it under what I'm Please saying right now. God. And yeah. then it's just going to kind of rise. Ooh. Wait. And now it's going to kind of fade back out. Awesome. It makes me want to dance. Yeah. So I love that. One thing I hate about it, though, is I said, oh, Shelly, like, there are a couple characters in this that I'm like, oh, yeah. But this is the first film, in my opinion, that really starts that tradition that many of the sequels carry on, which is bringing in all these tertiary characters who you're not meant to like them or care for them. Like, I'm speaking namely of this motorcycle gang. Oh, yeah. When, when the motorcycle no gang good gets reason, it. Except to have more characters to kill. Now, part three was on cable a bit when I was young. 
and I'd like to take this part of the podcast to talk about that my generation, I'll just say, and, and probably we weren't the first to be like this, rather than having ghost stories, and we had a few, there was like, you know, the hook in the door and like, Mary's been dead for three years, that must have been her ghost. But we didn't have local legends or anything like that, and we yeah. didn't like speak of specters from the old country, we were kind of far enough removed. If there is a Swiss ghost, I've never heard of it. There's a yodel in the air yet. There ain't nobody there. It must be a ghost. A yodeling ghost. Except for that um, that Bing Crosby song, The Yodeling Ghost. But besides that, yeah. like nothing came over with my grandparents to talk about haints in the woods. Yeah. But we did have the movies. And the movies in that kind of window before VHS, you would just sort of catch it on cable if you were up late enough or... You had that one friend with a VCR back before everybody had VCRs. Yeah. And we were all sort of, as young men, running around with parts of knowledge of certain horror movies. So we would rely on each other. <laughs> Cute. Not to, on your uh, smartphones? No. No. <laughs> um, we oh, certainly couldn't pause what we were watching. And if we couldn't watch it in its entirety, we had to go find a friend who had. So, yes, I saw parts of part three. Mm-hmm. Probably the middle. Because when I went to somebody my age and said, what happens at the end? What happened to the girl? Cause like the girl was being chased. Yeah. And I was told, Oh, the black guy comes back and <laughs> he helps sure her. Does. And he doesn't help her too much though. No. And in my head, I always pictured like Yafit Koto, just like a big, yeah, big, strong black guy. Not the kind of just Weasley yeah. punk. Uh, he had some good gusto and, and moxie, but, you know, it yeah. didn't last too long. Like, he, I mean, he got killed very quickly. Yeah. Well, I went into this movie saying, like, oh, what do I know about this movie? Oh, yeah, it's in 3D. This is the first one with a mask. And uh, if I recall from 25 years ago. The black guy comes back. The black yeah. guy comes back. <laughs> okay. And then I'm watching and I'm watching and I'm like, I guess it's well, I guess it's that guy. Not really the, you know, shaft that I, I built him up to right. be in my head. To come in and just, like, save the day. And he doesn't really save the day. He just shows up and is like, hey, man, and is quickly killed. And very quickly. He shows up just long enough. He's, if I remember, he's hacked. Yeah. Like, multiple times, just hack, hack, hack. Yeah. The term deranged sociopath <laughs> gets thrown around a lot by the media, but it really applies to my next guest. Please welcome Jason. So, do, do you hear the story about the mask and how it happened? No, I, I don't know whose idea it was. So, uh, is it credited to a person? It is. Here's the thing. They were doing a lighting test for the film, and Jason was going to have... I believe what they were going to do is have him have makeup on his face. Um, not the bag head, but he was going to have no bag and be kind of... A gross-looking face character, though. No mask or anything. But they needed to do a lighting test, but they didn't have time to do all the makeup first or something. And 3D effects supervisor, this one of the guys who was on set supervising the 3D effects, he happened to have hockey gear with him, like in a gym bag. Yeah. His own. And so they threw that on the actor playing Jason just for the lighting test. That's it. And then Steve Miner was like, that's amazing. We love this. And so then they kind of crafted the mask a little bit. Like, I think they 
cut it down a little so it would be a little bit smaller on the face and they mm. put makeup around it but that that's how it just was a happenstance of being on set and a lighting test that's what it wasn't that's a high incredible. concept idea but now as you mentioned it's I always just thought thing. they were going through like what are different masks we can use cuz nope. ha- the movie Halloween kind of had Halloween masks cornered and then if you take away Halloween masks what's left mm-hmm. like an arabian veil <laughs> well you can't have that yeah and so there just wasn't many masks left to choose from but according to you it was just a just so happens just happens. someone happened to have this thing and bam iconic and it became yeah a total legend this is the one you've been screaming for <gasps> friday the 13th the final chapter uh, part four, Friday Thirteenth, the final chapter. You want to start that uh, again? Not oh. accidentally saying fart. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, so Friday the Thirteenth, part four, subtitled the final chapter. It's the last one, Marshall. Wait, uh, it's no, the last it's one not. in my box set. <laughs> you know, part three was apparently intended to be the final movie. I think a lot of them were intended to be the last one. I rather enjoy part four. Really. Yeah, he at this point he's got the mask. He's still mortal. He's not the unstoppable machine. And I cared what happened to the characters just because who would couple off with who wasn't cut and dry. And I found after having watched 12 of these <laughs> movies, I like better when you don't know who's going to wind up with who of the victims as they couple off. Oh, fair and enough. When you're introduced to a couple already doing it, it's kind of yawn to me. Mm-hmm. But when you're just introduced to a co-ed mix, and then when the twins show up, and it's like two more in the mix, and there's these two single guys, they're going to start competing for them. Oh, sorry, sorry. Don't worry about it. Hi. Hi. Okay, so we start off, they take Jason's body to the morgue. Yeah. I feel like morgue workers in movies... And sometimes on TV, they're always eating. Yeah. Aren't they? Yes. And I think that that often is business that they're given to do as actors, probably because... Oh, is that... <laughs> Marshall's holding out his Roger Ebert bigger little movie glossary. Yeah. Does he talk about it? Yeah, there's a section here about uh, morgue attendants are always eating. They are. And I, and I think that's meant... I mean, to me, of course, in this film, it evokes the sense that... This is just their job. It's a little gallows humor. They can eat a donut. Who cares? Just because they're ripping open bodies and weighing the organs doesn't mean that, you know, they don't. And it's gross. All the the way, by the way, in in, uh, in Jason Goes to Hell, the medical examiner is like drinking a soda. Yep. And then the other one shows up after a while with just a stack of food. Yeah. (laughs) For them to eat around the corpse. Oh, blech. Anyway. Yeah, so they take Jason to the morgue. Obviously, he's still alive. Now, this one doesn't have 3D, but what it does have are two notable 80s actors. A young Corey Feldman. Yeah. And Crispin Glover. Oh, man. On the Crispin Glover front, he is super duper Crispin Glover in this movie, isn't he? With his dancing and... The dance in oh, particular. The dance. Please do yourself and me a favor. If you're listening to this and you don't know what we're talking about, go YouTube Crispin Glover's dance from Friday the 13th Part 4. It's just as the couples are starting to couple off, Crispin Glover, who is almost as awkward as he was in the Back to the Future films, decides to make his move by putting on not really danceable music. Yeah. And then asking girl to dance, haha, and does just a crazy herky-jerky dance, which doesn't even seem to go with the music. So it seems even just crazier that he's dancing that way. Yep. It's said that what was actually playing on set was ACDC's Back in Black. Yep. 
And you can find on YouTube, someone took Back in Black and <laughs> set it to the dance. Doesn't make any more sense. <laughs> it's a little more when the when the music stops, he kind of stops. I see. So the moves are crazy, but he manages to stop the right points. Okay. As opposed to just with the music they added, he just looks like he's having an attack. He looks like someone should be helping him. Yeah. Oh, those are real. As in Friday the 13th Part 2, there's a girl who takes a naked nighttime swim alone in this movie. This girl, I realized, was in Weird Science. Oh! She's one of the girls from Weird Science. That's fun. I'd watch special features to figure that out. Yeah. It's not like she took her clothes off and was, I was like, aha! <laughs> there are those again. And of course, I, I actually watched this one with friends matthew and daniel and i think i probably shouted at the screen why is she going swimming alone at night naked and then daniel's comment was none of these people know the rules yet yeah which to be fair all right and that's sure another a thing. nighttime naked swim is like, refreshing i would never do it now because i know the rules but yeah there are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie did you notice marshall the absolutely hilarious and wonderful number of bodies that go through windows in this movie i did i mean it's a jason trademark for the rest of the series as well in many of the movies somebody gets thrown through a window but in this one one of the twins gets thrown through a window lands on the top of a car well hers was original that she was inside he was outside and pulled her out through the window Mm -hmm. one of the characters named gordon jumps through a window trish jarvis breaks a window to get through it Jason throws Rob's body through the window. Jason bursts through the window himself to grab Tommy. Trish jumps through a window. I mean, it happens so incredibly much. You left out the dog jumps through and the, the window. And the dog jumps through the window. Oh, wait, wait, that's Gordon. It. Yeah, that's Gordon. Okay. Oh, that's right. Sorry, it's been so long. Gordon's I just a dog. wrote down Gordon. Yeah, the dog jumps through the window just to get out of the damn house. He's like, house. I'm out of here. Yeah, who can blame him? But I love it. I mean, just so much window smashing. It's absolutely ludicrous how many times people go through windows in this movie. Now, at the end of part two, we know that Ginny tricks Jason. Somebody else implements that. Yeah, young Corey Feldman, who um, sees some, some old clippings that has an artist's conception of young Jason, decides to make Jason think that he's talking to a younger version of himself. That's right. And, and for that, he cuts off most of his hair and kind of shades in under his eyes. Because he's a crafty kid who likes to make monster masks. So he knows how to put a little makeup on and cut off his hair and try to play a character. And it works, kind of. Works well enough. Jason does that head cock that kind of becomes signature where he's, like, confused. Yeah. Well, what's going on? Of course, I think Michael Myers did it first. <clears throat> I think the RCA dog did it first. All right, whatever. <laughs> All dogs do that. Anyway. Yeah. A rather canine head cock to say, what's happening here? Yeah. So um, I, had this, I had this machete from Dawn of the Dead that we used to you know, split the guy's head, you know? So I said, that's it. That's it. That's how we'll kill Jason. Tom Savini, who did the makeup in the first film, Mm -hmm. didn't do the makeup in parts two and three, but was asked back to do the makeup for part four because it was intended to be the final movie. And he was like, great. Sounds fun. I created the monster. Now I get to kill him. Sure. And so he does. And Jason not only gets a machete through the head, but then falls on it and slides down it. Yeah, they don't kill him a little bit. It's pretty, pretty intense. It's a really disgusting shot, actually. And, and so it's all over, right? The end. Nope. 
<laughs> after that, there isn't like a big jump scare, like at the end of the other ones. Correct. But rather his finger just twitches and Tommy grabs a machete and off screen just keeps chopping him up into little pieces. Die! He says. Yeah. He chops him and, and his sister's going, Tommy! Stop yeah. it! Die! 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 And that, boys and ghouls, is where we must leave you. Our exploration of the Friday the 13th series will continue the next time the calendar dares to allow a Friday to fall on its 13th day. In other words, three episodes from now. In the meantime, next month we have our Halloween episode, and Kat had a pretty good idea for what our November topic should be, so tune in for those as well. And just for fun, and just for her friends, Kat has recorded a Halloween album. It's a collection of spooky songs, and songs sung spookily. If any of you boys and ghouls would like Kat to send you a free copy, just email us your address at boysandghouls at gmail.com and Kat will be tickled pink to mail a CD out to you. So, until next time, beware the moon. Beware. Beware.